Hi, I'm Alan Altman. I'm Dave Juskow. And this is Billy Joel A to Z. Welcome to Billy Joel A to Z today, talking about Close to the Borderline. Close to the Borderline is the ninth track off the classic Glass Houses album and was actually released twice as a B-side. One on the European and radio-only release of All for Lena, but more prominently on the single You May Be Right, which was released on March 7th, 1980. Elon. I go to you for the Christopher Bonanno's ranking out of 121 songs. Where does he put close to the borderline? This one is right down the middle. Number 60. You are way off. For some reason, this is in 35th out of 121. I'm not that far off. Well, it's I'm only surprising. off by 25. Yes, but then but you're with everyone else in what you said in the Newsday article, Glenn Gamboa places it at 68, which is exactly what you were expecting. And the fans rank it at 62. For me, this would be in the eighties. I think we're all in the same ballpark then, except for bananas. Yeah. He says just about the hardest rocking out he ever recorded, which of course is the saddest of all statements. (laughs) (laughs) And he did it pretty well. Does not fail on the angry young man front. Mostly avoids the oversinging that hurts song like Big Shot, which clearly he hates. Uh, he sings with more of a straight growl here, and it's a bit better. Yeah, I mean, that's a fair assessment. I think it is a hard, the hardest rocking song on Glass Houses. That's probably true. But like you're saying, like that's kind of like, I mean, some other people who like love heavy metal would say this is like easy listening. So, of course, it's, it's all relative. Yeah, well, uh, okay. So for me... What we talk about all the time. I'm re-listening to all these songs. I feel like I've never heard this song before in my life. And I don't know how that's possible at all, since I've definitely listened to Glass Houses as a whole multiple times, many times in my life. This one just doesn't bring back any memories whatsoever, except I guess just for the opening lyrics, Blackout, Heat Wave, 44 Caliber, Homicide. Perhaps I remembered that but I didn't remember this song at all. It doesn't stick in my memory. It's not something I'm going to go around the house humming. It's not something I would put on my new found playlist. Yeah, that's the thing about this song. It's kind of a difficult song to keep in your head. Like the chorus, I think is that's in my head sometimes, the close to the borderline part. But all the verses, there's so many words. The rhyme scheme isn't that um, easy. It's like impossible to know what part of the song you're up to or to just like sing along to this. I think even for Billy Joel, it was probably hard for him to get through it. So you did hear the demo number one? Yes, I heard both demos. Demo demo, number one. Demo number one is my that is the one I would put on my playlist if it was a full demo song. I obviously love that so much better. 
What's weird about Demo One is this is like his hardest rocking song. And then you hear Demo One where it's all on piano. It sounds just like an Elton John song. He's even singing in like an Elton John voice. And if you just heard that, I wouldn't even say that's Billy Joel. I would say this is some Elton John demo. Yeah. And I guess that's why I liked it. And it sounds old school, Billy Joel, old piano man, Billy Joel. Uh, That's why I think I liked the demo. It doesn't sound like anything like the finished product at all. And I just liked it better. I liked what was kind of cool about demo two, which is a much later demo where the song is pretty much all formed, except that he doesn't have all the lyrics yet is the way he sings demo two is the way I sing this song because he's just like, close to the borderline. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like he has none of the actual lyrics in a lot of the song, but he always knows this, the chorus. Right. And that's why it's funny at the end of demo one, where he just goes, well, I don't have anything else. And that's how the song ends. Close to the borderline. I don't have anything else. <laughs> yeah, it trails off. He's like, well, that's some little ditty. And he probably, he probably came back to it like three years later. I think he started writing this in 77 um, when Son of Sam stuff was happening, which is what influenced that opening line. Right. And then it didn't come out until 1980. Well, that's the strange thing is that Right. It's supposed to be about 77, 70. So, yeah. But then he also puts down, um, you know, buck 83 won't buy you much lately on the street these days. And when you can get gas, you know, you can't drive fast anymore on the parkways, which was more of a 1973, 74 situation where they uh, I remember sitting in the long, long lines at the gas stations with my mother. Uh, You had to go on odd and even days. And then they had just changed the speed limit to 55. Oh, okay. So that's exactly what he's talking about. Yeah. The yeah, lowered exactly. speed limit and uh, gas shortages. Yeah. So that was only three years previous, you know, so that definitely the repercussions is what you would write about. Right. It's still all about the pressures that this man is feeling. And he, as he's getting pushed to the edge of sanity, basically, by all of these modern issues that he's complaining about, which is a cool song. I like his songs where he's upset or stressed out. This is this is totally in that realm. It's just not as memorable as other ones. Okay, well, here we also have again, and I'm sure you recognize it too, the other lyrics. I got remote control and a color TV. <laughs> I don't change channels, so they must change me. Now, this is the, it was Blonde Over Blue, where we had the, the, the hotel with the clicker doesn't work. Yeah. Uh, we have the song Sleeping With The Television On, which is on the same album, and the same album, all for Lena, uh, here I am watching the tube. I mean, this guy is obsessed with television. It's, it's as if Dave Juskow wrote Glass Houses. <laughs> <laughs> and all he had to do, he had no, uh, no music lyrics about women. It was all about just watching TV. <laughs> That's what I would be writing. Billy Joel was like, I want to write about the everyman. And someone's like, there's this guy, David Juskow. You should just follow him around, live his life. And he was like, all right, no women watches television, complains about gas prices. <laughs> well, yeah, it's actually just described me completely. It's a, it was embarrassing. I was like, ah, Eli, you're so fun. Oh, yeah, you know what? Uh, pretty much got it down. <laughs> this guy knows me. 
But yeah, it's funny you bring up the uh, the remote control thing because I looked it up and this is the only song where he says the word remote control and Blonde Over Blue is the only song where he says clicker. So he's one in one on that. We don't have a definitive third song where we know which one he prefers. Well, then we also don't know because he says sleeping with the television on. Then he always says watching the tube. So he says television and tube. Yeah. Remote control click. I mean, what the hell's going on with this guy? <laughs> Pick a side. Are you old fashioned or are you modern? It's kind of funny beside that. In Glass Houses, there's three television references. <laughs> TV was the new big thing. <laughs> uh, right, right. In 1980, TV was the really big thing. <laughs> well, that's why he says he has a color TV. Like, whoa, color. All right. Well, that's the other question. One of the lines in this song is rich man, poor man. So I don't know whether he's just saying that or whether he's actually talking about the miniseries from the 1970s, which was huge on television, which was like the start of all miniseries a big ratings extravaganza. So I don't know whether he's actually, I mean, why would I think that he's not talking about a television show at this point? Yeah. Or maybe it's like a fiddler on the roof thing. Maybe he had, if I was a rich man in his head. Well, that's what I'm trying. I'd like to actually, this is a question I'd probably ask him like, were you talking about the TV series? Cause it's a legitimate question. You would never know that, but you know, people my age remember that this was the biggest of all network television events, rich man, poor man tonight. On ABC. We continue now with Rich Man, Poor Man. It was like exciting. a two-night event, yeah. Well, that, <laughs> oh, guy, that guy who used to do the voices I was just talking about yesterday, it's the same guy that goes, and in an all-new Vegas, <laughs> Dantana looks out for a motorcycle game that wants him dead. And Today then, on Saved by the Bell. Right, right, right. Zach right. screws over Screech <laughs> and steals the girl he loves. Well, it was always like... Uh, I don't know, new heart to heart. You know, Jonathan gets involved with a wrestler that might want him dead. And then on Three's Company, Jack Chad and Chrissy. He'll get... <laughs> he had that much range. He could go from drama to comedy. Oh, the guy was a genius. Uh, I think his name was his uh the guy's the guy's name, I think it's Edward Anderson. His son is Paul Thomas Anderson, the guy who did that those voices in the 70s. His son directed Boogie Nights. Oh, no shit. And Charlie's Angels disco the night away. But it ends up a dance of death. Then Dan rides with outlaw bikers. Chase down a gang of motorcycle killers on Vegas. Well, I was going to ask you about another lyric that is relevant to you because he mentions Beekman Place and you live near there. I don't really know much about that area. Maybe you could tell me and our listeners about Beekman Place. Well, he, he was talking about how like rich people live there. And it is. A, I think John Lennon was living here, you know, before the when he moved to the Dakotas. Uh, it's it's really it's really nice. It's right by the U.N. And there's this, you know, you go up and you just have this little two to three blocks which is just perfect now you can't even imagine it is in new york city you know especially in midtown and it's it's very uh there's just no other word for it except lovely are those, and, those buildings that are like raised up above the street i don't what is like that do mean? you walk upstairs and then that's where like the ground floor of the building is um i know it's just regular buildings but it's very nice block and it, it's like your its own community and it just lasts about three blocks and it's it's just nice. And obviously, if you live there, probably you have great views of everybody's favorite place, Queens. And uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's a really nice place. And like I said, Lennon was definitely living there for a while. So, you know, normally often we'll find songs that sound like the Billy Joel song. I found a pretty good one here that, that sounds a lot like this guitar riff. Oh, all right. So this is the opening to Close to the Borderline. 
Okay. And this is uh, Mountain Woman by the Kinks. Uh, I do see the similarity, absolutely, but it's not as clear as uh, the blonde over blue cars touch and go, which was the biggest ripoff of all time no, so far in this program. <laughs> you're, you're right. It's not as clear. There's something there, though. It's a yeah, more twangy no, I, version. It's the country version of this modern urban song. That was like more of a country rock kind of version song. But I, the, the Kink song came out, uh, you know, nine years earlier. I could see if you knew about that King song, how you would pick up on it for sure. Yeah. Whenever I hear close to the borderline, I just, I hear mountain woman by the kinks. The rest of the song doesn't sound the same, obviously, but um, we like to point these things out. I did not know that song in general. I did not know that. I did not know that, sir. You were always going to talk about how he plays it live. Uh, I suppose you saw that 1981. He did at Wembley stadium which, uh, again, isn't a lot of laughs, but how he dedicated the song to that guy, John Peel. Yeah, I, I heard that part and that it was sarcastic, but I didn't look up who John Peel was. So John Peel was a writer and I guess a DJ as well, and he would never play Billy Joel songs. He just hated Billy Joel. And so that's why he said, oh, this is dedicated to John Peel. And you can hear the audience kind of chuckling because I guess that day he must have said something derogatory, perhaps on the radio. But even in 1987, and that's seven years later from that thing, he wrote an article saying he reviewed a Billy Joel concert for this Observer newspaper. And he said it was one of the most awful things he's ever seen. It's, it's obviously he hates Billy Joel so much. Who, who goes to a Billy Joel concert? It's the most awful thing they've ever seen. And he said it just like this. Last week, I went to see Billy Joel at Wembley Arena. He was utterly horrible. It was one of the most awful things I've ever been to in my life. I was enraged right from the start by the activities of gangs of American tourists outside, including this guy just hates <laughs> Americans, right? So it's ridiculous. Who put me in the wrong mood to start with. There's, it just, this is so, so stupid. How did this guy get a job? Their sort of arrogance and waving gold credit cards around under the impression that this would gain them immediate access. Probably, you know, and I mean, this is, what an asshole. That's awful. That is a hilarious review though. Yeah, it give is. It to the guy. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But yeah, he clearly just hated Billy Joel. And I, I don't know. The timelines are weird. So I feel like maybe this was the review after he said that, because that live performance of Close to the Borderline was at Wembley Arena. Now, obviously, he could be there multiple times. But I, I feel like our either what it said on the version we saw was 1987 or I got my information wrong and this was 1980. I'm not sure. Yeah, no, the, the the Wembley concert was in 1980, so maybe that. Oh, review so then is... then this article must be it must have been 80 that he wrote the article because that would make more sense. Right, and he's not mentioning in his review that at one point Billy Joel talked about him and made a joke about him, you know, which obviously influenced that he would write a bad review. Once he hears some, Billy Joel joking about his name and right, so putting him down, been... he's gonna say, "Well, fuck this guy." Right, he must have done multiple nights at Wembley. That article came out. And then he was like, this dedicated to John Peel. And the audience clearly knew about the review. I mean, can, who's going to write about Billy Joe's the most awful thing I've ever seen? I mean, what a dick. Yeah, it's, it's for his street cred. He wants to be even, John Peel, the guy who only likes cool underground bands. Right. And even if Billy Joel had an off night, 
it's still going to be better than somebody that's really awful. There's there's no way to lose, even if Billy Joel's not on his game. You know, there's still going to be so many songs. And that's in 1980, I'm saying. There's yeah. still going to be, you know, 12 songs you're going to like. You know, if he just decided that it wasn't the playlist you were hoping for, you're still going to be like, but I love when he did everything off The Stranger. What a right, like focus on the good stuff. Don't right. just focus on the bad. Well, that's what I do, so I can't really blame the guy. <laughs> he hasn't played it live after the Glass Houses tour. He's played it twice total, once that Wembley Arena performance that we have on YouTube, and then one other time, which I'll tell you about in our trivia section. Oh, a teaser. <laughs> hey, now. Well, that sounds great. Uh, yeah, what an interesting... Yeah, why, why, would you, why would you play this song anywhere? No one wants to hear this song uh, at a concert at this point. Uh, I'd like to hear everything else off Glass Houses except this one. Well, yeah, and when you hear the Wembley, it's just audio. It's not the greatest recording, but it sounds like it's difficult for him to get through it because of the complicated lyrics. It doesn't I, sound... The guitar sounds great, but something about the singing, it just is too... There's too much going on in this song. Well, that's another thing, Elon. When we listen to sometimes him talking, being interviewed when we're doing the research on the serious radio where they clearly just... Billy... For historic purposes, we're going through every song. We want your comment on every song you ever wrote, you know? And then he just starts playing, and he seems to know all the lyrics. I mean, it's yes. amazing. I was so surprised when he started playing this one, and then he was even singing the first few lyrics pretty well. I was like, I can't believe he got that right. Well, that's actually interesting, because in that thing, in that SiriusXM interview, he talks about how he was thinking of Robert Plant when he wrote those first few lyrics, and that this was like listening to like a Led Zeppelin song for him. But I... I'm a big Zeppelin fan. I really can't hear any Zeppelin song similarities in this at all. Me neither. I thought the exact same thing when you said that. It's like uh, whatever the other song, and it might have been Blonde Over Blue again when you were talking about it, he was saying it was like Roy Orbison, and I was like, I'm, I'm not seeing it. Yeah, that I got. This one, I'm like, he doesn't, he doesn't, he's not singing like Robert Plant. Plant doesn't have lyrics like those opening lyrics. It doesn't really fit into like how he sings on a lot of Zeppelin songs. And that was the other thing, too, again, with the demo. He has the beautiful Billy Joel voice that I prefer to this hard rocking jingle. <laughs> <laughs> the growl of Robert Plant. <laughs> the uh, hooky dookie. There's only one Zeppelin song that I was like, maybe it has some similarities to uh, Hots On For Nowhere a little bit, like the guitar riff in a totally different way, but it has something to it that is reminiscent of it, but not even close like the Kink song. But that's it. I don't hear the singing. I don't hear the Robert Plant comparison at all. So good for Billy. He's able to be influenced by Led Zeppelin, but not just write a song that sounded like Led Zeppelin. Well, that's what he's best at. Well, Dave, it's time for everyone's favorite, the trivia portion of our show. Do you have a good stumper for me? I do. The In 1977, the year that people love talking about about New York City. The New York, New York Yankees winning their several championships. The Son of Sam. A lot of other nonsense. This uh, idiot Mayor Beam, who's uh, just as bad as this mayor now. Uh, <laughs> uh, you've heard, maybe you saw that documentary, The Bronx is Burning. On yeah. ESPN, or not a documentary, but that really good uh, thing where Oliver, was it Oliver Platt who played uh, Oliver George Twist. Steinbrenner? <laughs> Oliver Twist. Yeah, probably Oliver. Pl I don't remember, but he totally could be a Steinbrenner. Oliver Twist would be a better one. Well, we were going to do something about the Yankees. We needed to make them better, sir. Please, sir, I want some more payroll. 
I want some more World Series, please. Shave your damn sideburns, boy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, during that time, uh, talking about Son of Sam and during, you know, I was around and it was a, here's my trivia question. In 1977, who was nicknamed Burko all through his anti-Semitic junior high because his first name was David and he was Jewish? (laughs) Well, this is a well-known fact. This is Dave Juskow. It's true. <laughs> I should have said I should I was meant to say it. In 1977, what celebrity was nicknamed Burko? <laughs> to throw you off, of course. What prominent podcast host? <laughs> yeah, yeah, they uh they used yeah, it was good times in 1977. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Was that tough on you? Oh, it was the worst. I'll never forget. We we used to belong to like a swim club or something, and uh that summer. They announced it over the loudspeaker that David Berkowitz had been captured, the son of Sam. Nobody knew who he was. And they said throughout the swift, like in a movie, you know, like uh, they caught the son of Sam. His name is David Berkowitz. And as soon as I heard his name, I'm like, oh, this is not going to end well for me. (laughs) (laughs) Knowing I had to go back to that junior high, they already hated Jews. I'm like, yeah, it's really bad. (laughs) And, And it's exactly as predicted. So they started calling me Berkowitz for two years from eighth and ninth grade. And then they just I guess they liked me. So they just uh, shortened it to Burko and Elon. So did the teachers. <laughs> you fucking believe that the <laughs> teachers want to be accepted by the cool kids. If they don't call you Burko, then the kids are going to turn on the teachers. It's they were just like uh, Burko. Do you know? And people just started laughing. They're like, I can't believe we got the teachers to do it. <laughs> it was so horrible. Uh, Do you know anyone today? If you see like an old friend, do they still call you that ever? Yeah. Yeah. This is a guy who moved to uh, Seattle. I've been keeping in touch with him uh, on Facebook. He's like, Burko, what's up? <laughs> <laughs> and they all liked me and every, everything was okay, but it, it truly comes out of a bad place, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I had a similar thing in 2000 um, when the Elian Gonzalez thing happened. Oh, right. People started, everyone was calling me Elion, and I was like, well, this is my life now. I'm a Cuban refugee boy. Yeah, I was part of that uh, case because I was working for Maxim Magazine at the time, and I was working with the photographer who was in charge of that case in my, in Maxim. That's eh, a long story. Were they like shooting sexy photos of the legal team? Yeah. Or of they his were, mom? Well, they, they, they were, this the girl who I was working with was waiting outside his house, you know, one of those you know, people that was waiting to get a picture of a 10 year old boy, which, you know, nowadays you'd probably be like, well, wait a minute. But yeah, this what, feels wrong. But I remember that. Yeah, that must have been tough for you, too. You want to hear my trivia question? I do. <laughs> OK, so like I said before, close to the borderline was only played two times live, both in 1980. One of the performances was at Wembley Arena. The other performance was on July 10th, 1980 at Toad's Place in New Haven, Connecticut. What is notable about that concert? About that particular concert or that town? That particular <laughs> concert, but you can tell me what's notable about the town because I have no idea. Well, I guess I Yale, don't know right? either. Yale. It's what? Yale University, New Haven. Oh, is that right? Oh, yeah. I don't. I was just thinking of the Hartford Whalers, so the old <laughs> hockey team. <laughs> no, this is New Haven, not Hartford, not that uh, dump. That concert. Uh, I don't know. Is that one of the ones that we've talked about where maybe he did a version of Big Shot or something like that? Or Allentown? Was that one of those? Or Then no. I don't know. I do not know. Well, okay. So it is notable because it is one of the concerts that was recorded for the live album Songs in the Attic. 
Oh, so which song did they use from that concert? So I was going to ask this as the trivia question, but I thought you would never guess it. Los Angelinos. You're damn right. I wouldn't have guessed that. <laughs> I've never even heard that song in my life. I don't think. Well, you'll hear it in the L's. It's one I know. of my favorites. Uh, I'm spoiler waiting. alert. I love and that that's song. The, that's the funny thing about this podcast is that I'm like, oh, I got to listen to that song. But I'm like, no way. I'm waiting until we get to the L's. Yeah. That's I'll the see you in three months. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's the only song from that concert that was on the album. Um, the album took from like many different concerts. It wasn't just like a thing where, you know, like the who live at Leeds where it's like, it's all from this one show. It's, it was all over the place. Yeah. Again, just, you know, looking that up because we finally had one, uh, was it Captain Jack that was from the, our first song from song, our first song from songs in the attic. Yeah. Captain Jack was the first one. Right. So then that's when I realized that they were all taken from different concerts really didn't until you explained it to me. And this is just awful. I probably shouldn't even say this. I'm doing a Billy Joe podcast. I, I still never understood what, and I keep talking and I keep calling it toys in the attic, uh, <laughs> what it was, how it came to be and what year it came out. For some reason, I just missed that whole time. And yeah. I, then I saw it was from different concerts around, which is brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Right. It was recorded during the Glass Houses tour. It was released in 81. And he wanted to put out a lot of these songs from like pre The Stranger that people hadn't heard, which is the reason why some of these songs became classics, I think, is because of this release of the live version. Right. Now, I will say that when he played Close to the Borderline on that show, it was just part of a medley. He didn't play the full song. He played a snippet of it, along with a few other of the newer songs. And that was in 1980? 1980. So he even didn't like it. If you're If you have a brand new album out, and you're playing a medley off stuff off your new album, you clearly don't like that song. Well, one of the other ones that he played, only a snippet of, was C'était Toi. So, yeah, it was like, I'm sure he played like the full version of like four or five of the Glass Houses songs, and then these older songs that he wanted to record for the album. But then, you know, C'était Toi, Close to the Borderline, those aren't going to, there's no time. These are uh, Yale kids. They got to get back to study. They can't be there for a three-hour concert. I guess, but I mean, if, you know, with his he's like the only artist you actually want to hear his new stuff. I don't know whether I'd be disappointed. Obviously I really like Cete Toi, so I don't know whether it'd be disappointed or not, but the French thing ruins it anyway. So yeah, we'll talk like, about that. Play Cete Toi. <laughs> we'll talk about that in the siege wrap up. Now it's time for the weird Alon parody of the day. Today's parody of close to the borderline is customer service line. Excellent which I'm sure, Dave, you have spent many hours on and it's given you lots of stress, just like the modern life that Billy sings about in Close to the Borderline. You got that right. I bought a new TV and the picture sucks on the remote. All the buttons are stuck. I can't connect my Nintendo Switch because there's no HDMI on this bitch. I want to get all my money back. So I called up support and now I'm here at Muzak. I'm on hold, wasting all of my time on the customer service line. Uh-huh. Customer service line. <laughs> <laughs> you sound like you were doing John Benjamin and Captain Jack at the end. <laughs> I was like, I got to put it into third gear. <laughs> is third gear a good gear or is first gear the best gear? I don't drive. Uh, third gear is a better gear. Yeah. Okay. So that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to put this in reverse. <laughs> Well, folks, that was Close to the Borderline. If you like our podcast, be sure to go to Apple and give us five stars. We release new episodes every Tuesday and Thursday, so make sure you hit subscribe so you never miss a single song. 
follow us on social media at Billy Joel A to Z and give us some feedback. Will you guys start calling Dave Burko in your Instagram comments? Do you agree with John Peel that Billy Joel concerts are plagued with gang activity? And do you think Billy's first marriage failed because he was watching too much TV in 1980? Until next time, I'm Alan Altman. And I'm Dave Juskow. And this is Billy Joel A to Z. Tara Fawcett Majors brings a surprise visit on the Angels, but her love of hot cars and fast men could stop her dead. <laughs>